episode, we are still here. So thankful that Dominic Zimmerman was able to join us. Looking forward to our second episode coming up. But we thought we'd take some time and just uh, rehash. It's just too good to not go back and look over The Last Dance. What an amazing uh, documentary. I know all the listeners of the podcast have been following along with that. We've had lots of people chiming in and talking to us about it. And we thought we would just talk a little bit about uh, episodes three and four. A few things from those episodes stood out to me. Corbs, you just chime in whenever you feel like you want to talk. But obviously they made an attempt and, an, and a serious effort to focus those episodes around three things. Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson, and uh, Scotty Pippen's growth as a player. I thought it was pretty cool to watch the growth in Pippen. And, you know, for me, being someone where those moments come back and when I'm watching that, it brings me right back to just being um, not a teenager, but, you know, being a young man and, and watching the suits and they're wearing those bad Oakley glasses and the suits are just so big and Jordan's jeans are huge and he's tucked in. And so there are so many cool things that, that bring me back to that. But I think watching Scottie Pippen grow as a basketball player was pretty cool. I remember when I was a kid, I had an Avia poster that I won at SFU basketball camp. And he was sponsored by Avia. That was his first shoe, if, I, if I'm correct, I think. Doing a reverse dunk for him to go through what he did. And you can kind of tell Michael's a little bit salty about the migraine game. And you can tell that he's looking past it. But I think he also does a good job of giving Scottie credit especially in the first two episodes where he said, you know, his name needs to be mentioned just like mine anytime there's a championship brought up with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so just seeing that growth and development. And then John Sally just saying, like, once Scotty figured it out, it was over. Like, we didn't have a chance. So that was a huge takeaway. I don't know. Did you did you follow that? Did you know much about Pippen's career? What, what to you was kind of eye-opening there, Corpse? I guess that I didn't really get a chance to understand Pippen's career. We just kind of knew him as Jordan's sidekick, right? Jordan's Robin to his Batman. And it was really fascinating. Like, I didn't know he had that huge growth spurt from college going to, before going to the NBA. It was essentially like a six-foot point card growing into a six-foot-seven body, right? So Yeah, and then you see all these tweets and these emotional feels about people like, Scottie Pippen played NAIA and da-da-da. It's like, Scotty Pippen went from a nobody to an absolute freak, like overnight. So, you know, there's a little bit more to that. We can't all be Scotty Pippen with his body and, and length and size, or you know what I mean? Exactly right. I, I also didn't even know, especially when Phil came and how much he handled the ball. I think we there's a lot being said about his two-way play, how fantastic he was as a defender and score, but for me personally, I didn't realize how much Scotty handled the ball. Yeah, I think not not many people I mean, in the triangle, that was the biggest thing was to to keep the ball moving and to work out of that, right? So that was also a very cool time as well as watching the transition. And that we'll talk about Phil a little bit. I mean, what can you say about him? But to be able to get a guy like Michael Jordan at his level to buy into that system and have him believe that, all right, I don't need to score 38. I don't need the ball in my hands. And, and you know, MJ, you know, adamantly in the documentary wasn't a believer at first. He was open to say that, but for Phil to be able to convince a personality like that to buy in and then to see it take off. I think that just speaks volumes to Phil Jackson as a coach, just phenomenal in the way he's able to handle people. And in my growth as a coach, personally, one of the things that I learned early on from my playing days was 
not to treat every person the same. The coaches that I didn't appreciate the most were the ones who treated us the same. The, the coaches that I liked the best were the ones who were able to connect on a different level. And I think when you look at Phil Jackson from a professional level, what he's been through, his resume, I mean, the guy could have an ego as wide as his shoulders and as long as his arms, because <laughs> those are both right. long. Yeah. But the championships, you know, the pedigree, the resume being brought in, he was pretty much picked to be there and then move into that job. But he still made it about the players. He made it about the athletes, even at that level. It was pretty phenomenal to see. Um, and then the whole part about just letting Rodman just go for 48 hours and let him have a little vacation, knowing that those two, those 48 hours that turned into more would pay off for his <laughs> team in the long run. And it's just who Dennis was and what he needed. And I can only imagine what he did with other guys, right? They show the clip when they're over in Europe and he's got them doing yoga, right? They're all on mats on the floor doing yoga and stretches and he's leading it. It's like, wow, like what, what professional coach, any sport right now would even attempt to do that. I'm not saying that it would work right now. I just mean at that time and the way the bulls were, how do we not, you know, give Phil so much credit in, t in terms of just having everybody buy into what they were trying to do. Um, just crazy stuff. I've read all of his books. Um, Sacred Hoops is a phenomenal book for anybody out there that is trying to track that down. Um, the the Rings one as well. And then he's got another book uh, about the Lakers. His time with the Lakers. I can't remember what it's called, uh, but it's a great book as well. And he's just such a powerful mind and just able to stay true to himself, but also understanding the needs of each of his players. I thought that was phenomenal. Are you there? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was just looking up the book. Is it... Bill Jackson, the last season. The last season, yeah. Right. Okay. I mean, you kind of said everything, right? What if you know you're a young, you're an aspiring coach. You get a little hot-headed at times. You get on officials. We've talked about that a little bit. You know, you get a little emotional with your kids, just like I did when I was younger, and that's fine. But like when you see a guy like Phil Jackson, like what's your perspective? I'm 42, and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm still trying to grow and learn, but just a little bit more life experience than you. I'm interested to know, like, what, what are the younger people thinking when they see Phil? Are they even taking it away? Do they get it? Or do they just think it's Scotty and, and Michael and that? Or what, what are your takeaways? I see someone who's just able to connect with his entire team and just knowing that, like what you said, you can't treat Mike the same way you treat Jed Butchler. Butchler? What's that his name? Jed <laughs> Damn it. Butchler. If you're yeah, gonna, yeah, that's if my you're bad. you're going to... Get the white guys, get them right, okay? I know, I could have went Steve Kerr, I could have went like Bill Wennington, but I chose the guy with like the super European last name. Of course. Bill Wennington's Canadian? Oh yeah, Bill Wennington's, yeah, he's from Montreal, right? Attaboy. I have to do my research, right? I have to do my homework. But I I look at that and he wasn't even that hot-headed as a coach, right? And just knowing that as a young coach, that you, you can't lose your cool and players i know he's coaching professionals but even then like they can pick up on that they can feel you know a coach's anxiety they can feel when a coach is starting to lose it starting to lose grip of what is actually going on and it's probably no different for kids right or probably even more attuned to what their coach is doing absolutely when you think about the young people that, you, that were coaching there's no there's no sixty thousand dollars just for showing up for the day right so how do we get them to buy in you know yeah exactly Exactly. I think it was super bold of him. And I know a lot of the young listeners out there just kind of 
think of Phil as this really washed up basketball president for the Knicks and did some really, really, really poor moves. But his time as the as the Bulls coach, he was would you say revolutionary? I, I, I don't know about that, but just his ability to manage such a diverse group of personalities, right? Mike is so different than everyone that we've seen at his time and is it I think it's not hard to say that Robin's probably the most interesting person on the face of this earth. Probably he's up there. He's in the top five, I think. And just knowing that, okay, yeah, like what you said, knowing that Robin needs to go away and uh, go on a little bit of a, a bender, I guess, to get his mind sorted out and then come back and be professional. Is... Yes. Oh, that was a bender, all right. Oh, boy. Jonathan I... Bender. Yeah, I think if you're looking at, you know, you use the word revolutionary, and I don't know revolutionary is the right term, but, you know, without no without Phil Jackson, there's probably no pop. And there's no one like Dan Tony, not to say that he's an all-time great. I'm just saying, you know, everybody's learning from someone. And that's another thing with this podcast and what we're trying to create. We're not trying to compare ourselves to the Bulls and Phil Jackson, but sharing people's stories and letting people be transparent and allowing people to see who you are and being truthful and honest and being open allows people to you bring people in and people are drawn to you and then they're able to learn from you. And a huge fault of mine as a young coach was I thought I had to keep everything in my pockets and I didn't want to share. And then I just realized like the more that I share, the better I felt and the more connections I had and the more they shared with me. And you know what I mean? At the end of the day, when you compete, we both have to beat each other. So I'm holding this film or something in someone else is getting it from somewhere else. Right. And I think Phil Jackson's approach was, was great. And to be able to take one of the most dominant mental, you know, sports personalities ever to have him buy in is huge. And then to look where it went is amazing. Roll that into the treatment of Rodman. I mean, what talk about Dennis Rodman, what a guy he obviously has everything, you know, all his side stories and then, you know, just the chaos behind him and everything. But, you know, I was listening to Jalen and Jacoby again, and they were talking about his dad has like one E, four children or something like that. Never really met his dad until a few years ago. Like, there's a reason we're all, we're all who we are for a reason, right? We're built the way we are for a reason. And Dennis Rodman was who he was. And Chuck Daly obviously got the most out of him as a young man. And then as Dennis got comfortable and he got into more of a celebrity role, you know, the Madonna thing and and all that, he kind of knew, okay, I can push some boundaries here. He was like that kid in class that wants to push and push and push, maybe for attention, maybe just because that's who they are a little bit. But Phil was able to get the most out of him. And it was very intriguing and good and interesting to see because even as a fan, just watching those games and, you know, being a basketball hoop head, and watching Rodman and not realizing what's happening behind the scenes and forgetting that Pippen was out for a good portion of that one season. And then when Pippen came back, Rodman kind of, you know, got all sensitive. And so just so many different things that you don't even realize. And then you throw in the pro level. It's such a cool documentary and just so needed right now. I think everyone's so hungry for it and just enjoying every minute, regardless of who your goat is, how many J's you own, what team you liked, how old you are, we can all learn from this documentary. Plus, what a way, way to go back into some amazing times in sports. Definitely, Jacoby would say that uh, Robin was the most habitual of line steppers. Well, Jacoby better be ready for when we take over his, uh, his podcast. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got you. I got you. Yeah. But I'll leave you with this. There's no better visual of, and I'm not promoting it, but. 
Dennis Rodman walking down the tunnel with a bandana wrapped around his head, a Miller light in his hand, walks into the parking lot, two or three of his biker buddies who clearly have VIP access to the game waiting for him, chugs his beer, fires up his bike, no helmet, probably because it's Murica and you don't need helmets, and just peels off as the crowd screams after him. I'm like, wow. He is he is wild, I gotta say. But how cool when he's talking to you and he's talking about reading his teammates and knowing when the ball, where the ball's gonna go. And yeah, they edit it to make it look a little goofy, but you know he studied MJ's positions and when he shoots and whoever else. Like, unreal, man. The detail behind all that is so phenomenal. So phenomenal. It's so important for so many people to think because I think we all sit there and we've had that argument like, oh yeah, how many threes could you hit? Or if you played this NBA player one-on-one or if you did this. And then it's like, you see that and it's like, even Dennis Rodman is is all over a film study. He's sitting in a locker by himself watching tape. He is studying every guy he's going up against. And then just think about how strong that man is. Oh, forget about it. Isn't it one of the anecdotes is that he would go on like the treadmill for like hours af- after games and stuff? Yeah, just a freak, man. Yeah. You know, and then you see him in college and you, re- you know, he could score 25. He just realized this is who I am. This is my craft, right? Like Dom... Our last guest realized, this is who I need to be. This is what's going to give me the best career. This is how I'm going to make our team the best. And I'm going to sacrifice. I'm not worried about the stat line at the end of the day. I'm not worried about having 25, right? That's what a lot of people get caught up in is the points, is how do we make our team successful? And look at what he made of his career just by doing that. Amazing stuff. Yep. He really, that's the definition of buying into a role, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I said I was going to stop. I just can't. Like, I just, there's so many things. And then you talk about, we could talk about the Pistons and all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But we oh, got, all this stuff. We got to keep it short. But but at least, you know what? Like, at least, and, and you know, I know you guys give me a hard time. You go, oh, you're a grumpy old man and da da da. But like, look at the rivalry. And I'm, it's not the NBA's fault. It's not anyone's fault. I don't think it's because of player movement. There just haven't been a couple teams that have stuck around long enough for it to happen. But, like, just look at that rivalry, and it was like, it was literally, you had to pass a team to get to the next level. It wasn't just, oh, so-and-so's not in it. This, You know what I mean? And just so cool. Yeah, I get it. Cool, cool. Great stuff. And man, someone tweeted out, a, it was like a three-minute clip of Jordan highlights against the Pistons, and I, like, replied, and I said, I mean, if I was Lane Beer, I probably would just fouled him every time, too, because he's in 90% of the clips, either getting dunked on or getting a reverse layup. <laughs> I would have just started yep. the guy, too, right? Yep, yeah. yep. So I, d- I don't think it's leaving more room for people to compare, because um, I don't think that's the purpose of this. I think it just gives people that didn't get the opportunity a clear perspective of what everyone's seeing in Michael Jordan and those Bulls teams and just how great they were. That's it, man. Let's move on to our special guest. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing. Good Lad Clothing is located at 221 Esplanade in Lower Lonsdale in North Vancouver, 30 seconds from the C bus. Good Lad Clothing prides itself in being the only three-in-one shop in Vancouver where you can get clothing, coffee or a beer, and a cut. Everything is ethically sourced, and what better time to support Canadian-made goods than right now during COVID-19. From the locally roasted beans, to Toronto's own crown shaving, which is one of my favorites, to also one of my favorites, a Vancouver company named Raining Champ. So many great options there at Good Lad. 
The owner, Shane Meyer, will offer you a private shopping experience and will also give you a free beer or coffee while you tour the store and check out what you need. While you're there, if you do happen to mention a Hoops Journey podcast or that you know me, Aaron Mitchell, we'll also offer you a 25% off discount anything store-wide. If you are unable to make it to the store, please go online to goodladclothing.com or shopthefoldgroup.com to have clothes delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping worldwide. Thank you so much to our sponsors and let's get back to our show. Hey, yo, we are still alive. Welcome back to a hoops journey. We are hanging on here. They haven't deleted us from Spotify or Apple, Apple iTunes, whatever you call it. And we are thrilled to bring in another guest for episode two. This gentleman has become someone who early on was a bit of a coaching rival and has become a good friend. And I think he has a really cool story uh, to share and where he's at in his life um, with basketball is very unique. And I think he is going to bring a really cool perspective. So we're excited to welcome uh, Val Dillon, uh, head coach of the Burn Creek Boys Bulldogs men's basketball team. Uh, Val has been uh, there for a significant period of time. Val played at Douglas for a couple of years after playing high school at uh, David Thompson. And uh, started out with the junior team and has turned, well, kind of kept going with a program that was pretty established and taken it to another level, reaching the final at the AAA level and many final fours as well. So, Val, welcome to the show and we're happy to have you here, my man. What's going on, guys? Thank you for having me. It, uh, it's a huge honor to be here. So, And I love what you guys are doing. So, thank you. Yeah, I skipped a little bit of your resume, but we'll get into that. And I kind of more want to just get into who you are and what you're about, because, you know, we've known each other for a good amount of time and we've, you know, started to get to know each other even better and become good friends. And that's not the reason that you're on here. It's not friends list. It's uh, it's who it's people's stories that I think are really unique. And, you know, we're going from someone who was our last guest who ended up playing professional basketball to someone who has, you know, just grinded and put their head down and is now a passionate, dedicated high school coach. And, you know, as everyone else as a guest, my first question is, what was it about basketball and sport in general that just got you going? And was it a choice in your house? What was the Dylan house like? Was there, were there options or how did that work for you? Well, you know, what's interesting about it is my dad was born in India and, and came here. My mom was born here in Canada. Neither side of the family uh, played sports, so it was not a priority in my house. My dad's side of the family was pretty academic. For me, I think it was, I was maybe grade three or four, and and I saw Michael Jordan play and just fell in love with it. And, and so now with this documentary being out, it's bringing back all those, all those emotions. And, you know, MJ's impact, it really, really had an impact on my love for the game when I was young. And then, of course, that love changes, but but that was the initial entry point for me. Interesting. Yeah, we, we did a little bit of a recap on episodes three and four to start here, and that's what I brought up to was that, you know, I'm not necessarily in grade three and four. I'm a little bit older than you. Careful. <laughs> but uh, just brings you right back. It's like It's like music, right? Like music can bring you back to a certain time in your life, whether it was happy or sad. 
but I think sport as well can bring you back to these moments where you realize like, wow, that was when it clicked in. And, you know, that was for me was like the, you know, the magic Johnson's in my life. And like, I'll never forget crying like Patrick Ewing lost in the national final and when he was at Georgetown. And so it's just cool to have that documentary back. The timing is so perfect. So glad that they bumped it back. So we can all kind of reflect and, you know, like Corbin and I were talking about is for the young people and it's not to compare the goat conversation. It's just Mm -hmm. for people to really see like, who MJ was, right? And what are you picking up or rem- remembering? Or maybe is there something that you didn't even realize in that docu that you're seeing? Well, the, the first thing is that, what about the soundtrack on the documentary? I mean, some of, some of that old, old school hip hop has taken me back. And, and you mentioned that song can do that to you. Well, that was Corbs, right? Corbs, what was the song you, uh, I said, what, what song are you bumping in our, in our little purpose pod? You said, I'm bad, El J. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah. Corbin rolled around Surrey for a whole day the next day, bumping on bad, thinking he was bad, right? Yeah, yeah. Windows up or windows down, Corp? Windows down, baby. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Even I don't roll around all the time with my windows down. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're known in the community, man. You got to keep yeah. it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I mean, back to the documentary, I think it just just MJ was just on a different level. I think, you know, for, for our generation, especially we were growing up watching it. Uh, I think you guys mentioned with Dom, the impact Kobe had on his generation and some of the older cats like me, we don't, don't always realize what that impact is, but, but for me it was MJ and then it was Iverson. And, you know, the other thing the documentary is bringing, bringing back to me is how much I love Scottie Pippen. And I remember this quote from Reggie Miller saying, Scottie Pippen's the only player in the league who can score six points and dominate a game. And Pip was such a big part, big part of the league, but a big part of that team and that run. And I think the, you know, the young Hoopers can take away if you just stick to it and you have a good mindset and you believe in yourself and keep working. I mean, yeah, we can't all be like six, eight with the wingspan, but Pippen had every reason family wise, you know, everything he went through to just not make it. And he did. Right. And I think he put his head down, which is cool. So such a wicked documentary. Yeah, also cool that he played at an NAIA school, which is mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. so, so cool to see that. That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you know, obviously you're an East Side guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you live in my hood now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the things that I appreciate about you, especially when I see you coaching, and we'll talk about that more, but you can tell that it's in you, but what was it like going to high school at David Thompson? Where did you fit in? What was your peer group? You know, what did you do? Who were you in high school? (laughs) So David Thompson was interesting back then. Um, You know, pretty diverse uh, East Van school, uh, kind of on the south side and a huge population from Punjab and then a huge population from Hong Kong. And so I kind of had I kind of had friends all over the place. By the time I got to grade 12, I was a bit of a social nomad, I suppose, not really fitting in anywhere, but also kind of fitting in everywhere. And, uh, you know, one of the few kids that loved basketball in a school that wasn't very good at basketball at the time. And they've had a couple runs in the last couple of years. But when I was there, we weren't very good at all. And and so that that alone kind of you're walking on your own, you're walking your own path in a way. Yeah, I mean, the 90s was interesting in East Van, too, for particularly for our community. I mean, there's we were in the newspaper every couple <laughs> every couple of weeks for one thing or another. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, growing up with that around you and, and not really fitting into that 
you know, and I mentioned, you know, having a, having a dad who really only only valued academics, but was the only parent at every game in a working class community. It was, you know, you think about it now, it's an interesting, interesting place to grow up. For sure. Yeah, that's wow. Super good insight. And then super unique community. Now, was was Thompson? Is it was it nine to 12? It was eight to 12. Eight to 12. Okay. Yeah. And so you're there and you got into coaching when you're in grade 11. So you're playing hoops for the high school team. And you, it says right away that you're, you know, you started coaching right there. What, what was the reason? Was it to build a resume? Were you looking for a job? Like, what was it? You know what? It was uh, the summer going into grade 11. And my dad made me volunteer at summer camp. I didn't want to do it because I just wanted to ball all the time. And so mm-hmm. I've, uh, but I volunteered at Sunset and then at the YMCA and then, you know, kind of really liked working with kids. They were, they were pretty fun. So just started coaching like a grade seven team at Sunset and, and then another one at the Y and just never really looked back, you know, the competitive side of an athlete. I really had a hard time admitting to myself how much I loved it because I wasn't done playing yet, but, yeah. but I really loved it. And, and I well, loved it from an early age. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. So yeah, you know, you look at your, your bio and okay. So then you're like, you finish high school you're on whatever kind of a crummy high school team or whatever middle of the pack. Didn't yeah, really, yeah. You didn't really lose anything. You know, you guys weren't awful. And then you decide to go and hoop at Douglas college. If what's, is it because it was just still inside of you and you didn't want to let go? Was it because you were planning to go to school and you thought that would be something that just went together? Like what, how does that look for someone at, at your age at that point? Yeah. You know, I wasn't uh, academic at all. Like uh, I, the school side of it didn't really appeal to me. I think uh, I you wanted to play well. Uh, no, yeah, he knows. He's well aware <laughs> that, that that side came later. But yeah, it drove him crazy. But I just I just wanted to play. And so played in the Douglas College Summer League and invited the coach to come and watch me play. And I think I had like a 40 point game. And it's a summer league, right? Like, it's not a big deal. But mm-hmm. it turns out the guy who was guarding me had played pro overseas for a little bit and kind of had retired was a little bit older but I'll take a 40 I'll take a 40 piece against against a guy who played pro and so the coach said well you're on the squad and then uh, and then didn't really get any burn like no playing time for a long time and then kind of came off the bench for a year and and yeah it was good it was a good experience Um, who who, who was your coach then Jamie Wee oh yeah Jamie Wee so that would have been what year was that so I played in 04, 05 for uh, Steve McGilligan, and then I played the year after that for Jamie. Wow, you played for, for McGilligan, rest yes. in peace. Wow, yeah, yeah. crazy. Jeez, you are you're way younger than me, man. <laughs> Nobody oh. would be able to tell if they saw us together, though. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, mean I do color my beard a little better than you, but that's okay. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Just for Men. <laughs> <laughs> Only when Bal Dylan's on, that's right. Now, was the the year that you, the second year when Jamie was coaching, was that the year that they won the national championship? No, no, it wasn't. No, okay. they were, I think, two years away from that. Okay. Um, yeah. So who was yeah. on that team? So we had a bunch of guys from Toronto. Yeah. Andre Andre Grant was on that team who, who ended up coaching at Cap for a bit. I don't know if you know him, but... Junior Levin, Junior Lennon yeah. was on there for a bit. He hung out yeah. in Vancouver for a while, and then I think went back to Toronto. Jeff Lenahan, who's still at at Douglas, working, I think. STM, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, great guy, great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Velasco was the assistant coach. Ron Badesco, man. Yeah, yeah. 
That's my freshman year at Cap College. He was, he was on the same team as me, yeah. That's right. He could still hoop back then when he was helping yeah. coach us, too. And so, very, very good human being, that man. Very good human being. Uh, Best we ran as well, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. John Thompson was on that team. Cody Berg yeah. was on that team. Oh, uh, yeah. Dwayne Selby was on that team. Yeah, it was good. Wow, that's some players there. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. I think no, I'm not going to talk about the current state of the Pac West, but there was a time when it was the BCCAA. And all we had was, what was it, UVic, SFU, and UBC, right? And That's right. It was literally a stepping stone, and it was like either you're, you need a little work on your game or your academics aren't good enough, and then guys were moving on, right? And there's so many guys down those lists, and it's just like, that's why I just ask, because like when I hear that, I go, yeah, man, just yeah. unbelievable, the players that were coming out of that league. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a very good, uh, a very good team in a very good league. And I mean, we could talk Pac West if you want to. I have a lot of opinions about it. <laughs> we only have so much time here tonight. Yeah, fair enough. Careful to our listeners. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay, so then, so two years wraps up at Douglas and then what? It, the basketball playing side of it ends and is it just, is it time to move on with school? Are there other distractions? What's happening there? Well, there was a, a year, I think, a year in between graduating high school and playing. And okay. and so that year, the teachers went on strike, on job oh, action. And oh, so there, okay. was no, there was no sports. And so I was a huge, sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't very big into track and field, but my track and field coach had a huge impact on me. And, and I only ran it for one year in grade 12, and, and the guy just had such a big impact on my life. And so I was visiting his classroom, and it might have been end of October. And the basketball coach walked by and noticed me and said, hi. And I said, well, how's the team looking? And he said, well, there's not going to be a team. There's job action. And, and when he walked away, my track coach said, I don't know anything about basketball. If you coach it, I'll sponsor it. It took a lot of heat doing it, uh, but we ran it. And it was a year where every team did end up running. And so it wasn't, it wasn't like 2001, I believe, which, which saw some things. But, but it was a year where... It, kind of everybody ran a team and and so yeah that was I coached the senior boys team like one one year out of high school it was crazy yeah it was yeah. crazy yeah <laughs> did you know what you were doing were I had just... no idea I had no idea all I, all all I knew was that I wanted them to play hard and I knew that I wanted them to play fast and I knew that they had to work on their skills and that was really that was it and yeah. so you know, we had as basic an offense as you can have, which which I think is not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but change. right, but but the ability to <laughs> the the it, you know, and we will talk about that. Nothing has really changed in that sense, but uh, the ability to make adjustments uh, yeah. was just not there. The knowledge wasn't there. But we did okay. We did okay, mm-hmm. and 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 it was a really fun year. Yeah, and so you know, being that young and coaching high school kids, like, what are you falling back on? What are the life lessons that you've learned as a family? Um, Obviously an immigrant family and like, Mm -hmm. there's gotta be some sort of lessons in your household that without you even knowing maybe intrinsically, like just what's coming out of you as a young coach that maybe you are happy about and maybe reflect on maybe you would have changed. Like, how does that work? Cause you're so young at that time. Yeah. You know, uh, I think there's a story that kind of reflects my growth. I, I remember uh, we were a couple guys couldn't make a Friday afternoon practice, and and I, here I am still trying to play, so I'll, I'll step in at any point. And and <laughs> we said <laughs> we said defense calls fouls, 
So if you okay. go to the hoop, yeah, if you go to the hoop and you get fouled, you don't get to call it. The guy who fouls you gets to call it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got hacked a couple times by a player and and he didn't call it. And so I started I started lipping off and kind of change change the total total vibe of the practice when you're when your coach who's clearly immature because he's only a year older than you is now yeah. talking trash to a player and like going at right. him. Right. And and I remember going back to uh, Soames classroom. Soames was the uh, the track and field coach, and I just looked at him. I said, "I'm really sorry." And and next practice, I'm gonna I'm gonna run a you know, as many sets of lines as these guys want me to run because I can't behave like that. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, that's leadership. And, and if that kid has any ounce of maturity in him, he'll run with you, but we're not going to make him. We'll see what he does. And so he didn't run with me, but I ran, I ran the sets and the kids were happy and, and you get him back. I think also I had a little bit of clout with those guys. They saw me play in high school and, and and that kind of carried some weight for me. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't carry weight anymore, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Corbs is laughing. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, and then and then like you you go through that and then you're coaching the girls at Killarney. Like, what's the difference? And I've never coached a girls team in my life. Okay. And this is not a male only podcast, by the way. Sure. We've got a list of female ballers we plan on getting on here. Um, what's the difference? What's your difference? Do you approach things differently? Like I know my high school coach, Rich Chambers, towards the end of his career, you know, just jumped over and started coaching like women's basketball. Is there something different there? You still, have you learned more? What's happening? You know, you know, what's interesting is, so Soames had left David Thompson to go to Killarney. And so I followed him. And, and you know, legendary coach Tom Tagami has the boys program on lock and, and the girls coach had just retired. So we kind of stepped into that together. And, okay. and a friend of mine as well, Andrew. So, so the three of us coach that, that senior team and it's very different. I mean, and first of all, I think girls tend to rely on the fundamentals a little bit more. They're more willing to be coached when it comes to the skill stuff, even mm-hmm. when it's, even when it's simple, right? Cause the guys, I think they see the flashy stuff, especially in the age of social media. And so, um, so there was that difference, but the, but the biggest difference for me, and, and maybe it's an oversimplification because I only spent three years doing it, but what I experienced was boys tend to have more of an ego and, you know, you, you'll sometimes get a, a, a player who's like, let me win this game on my own. Whereas girls tend to group up. And so the first year we did it, I remember there was like three girls in one friend group and four girls in another friend group. And the two, good or and, bad group up, right? Yeah, and they just wouldn't pass to each other. Like, it was, cra- it was crazy. Like, mm. they, uh, it, I don't know if they hated each other or whatever, but then we started to try to do some team building stuff and break that down. And it worked. I, I, I don't think the hatred ran deep, or maybe they just didn't know each other or whatever. But, but yeah, those were kind of the two biggest differences I could point out. Interesting. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Just mm. knowing how, how they, you know, the genders kind of both both operate but interesting stuff yeah and then fast forward in your case so you're at burn creek like let's not worry about the junior let's just jump into you know you're all of a sudden senior ball coach and you know, obviously wayne best was there for a lot of years did a great job and, mm-hmm. and got kind of that program on the map was he the first senior coach at the school he was because the when school the yeah. school's school so young so he when was did it open i believe 2006 okay yeah mm-hmm. so it's super young right and yeah. And he was there and, you know, had a lot of great teams going through Agridome and just different, different things. And then you jump in and you're, you know, you're the senior coach and 
I'm just going to ask flat off, like knowing you and who you are, like does Burn Creek basketball sometimes get an unfair rap? And I know you don't care because I know who you are. Yeah. Do they get an unfair rap? I think so. Yes. Okay. Tell me more. Like why? (sighs) (laughs) You want want me to tell my perspective? Yeah. Why don't you tell me your perspective? But I think, I think at times, you know, you, you continue to come to our tournament. You're always welcome in our door. We know that there's a whole bunch of things that come, you know, with, you know, your school and your community. But I think what I've realized over the years is like your heart is in the right place and your intentions are in the right place. And I, and let's be honest, we're in BC. Uh, if your teams are in even some parts of Calgary, some parts of Edmonton, mm-hmm. if they're in Toronto, if mm-hmm. they're in Quebec, they're just the norm, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In terms of ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you have an active, lively group of kids. But I think what I've come to realize when I, you know, I came and visited you this year at your work and I saw what you do and I've seen the Burn Creek community. We've, our school is connected and reached out and we've connected a lot more and done a lot of projects together, right? And not mm-hmm. even things that you've been doing or I've been doing, but cool things in terms of sharing our experiences from a Catholic private school to like, you know, you know, your community school, right? And just sharing each other's stories. I think a lot of people don't really understand what each kid in your building is going through on a daily basis. And I think the thing that I respect about you the most is you and Sean Hake are willing and your other coaches in your program and all the coaches there are willing to put their neck out for a bunch of kids who need you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I do think you get a bad rap. I do. So yeah. there's my answer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in many ways you nailed it. I think we look different. Sometimes we express joy differently and people people aren't used to seeing things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, our manager <laughs> dancing before the game and things yeah. like this. And I think it can rub people the wrong way, right? And, if, and if, once you get to know that kid, you know, you're like, this kid's incredible. Um, mm. uh, so there's 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 that. I think, you know, growing up in the neighborhood I grew up in, there's some parallels. And so I've been able to offer, I hope, I hope I've been able to offer some empathy, but, but I also think, you know, you're an educator, Corbin, you're a young coach, which is, you know, you're an educator in that respect. And, you know, isn't it interesting when you work with young people, sometimes you reflect on how much you need them. For sure. Yeah. There's, there's definitely an element of that for me too, right? Like I think I feed off the Burn Creek community. I think those kids do make me better. I hope I have a positive impact on their life, right? Like, and and that's and that's it. And I think, yeah, I, I do think we get a bad rap, and I think we're slowly, slowly taking that rap down. I hope so. And 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 I don't think it's just the success we've had on the basketball court. I think it's the growth people have seen in some of our players, and mm-hmm. uh, and I and I hope that that stuff has an impact. And the the other side of it is we've you know since Wayne was there we've always pulled up young players who were good enough to play and so you you know you add an element of immaturity and that's just teenager stuff that's not got anything to do sure. with ethnicity or anything like that yeah. right so yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. and so you know tell me about if you're okay with it like tell tell everybody you know just what do you do for a job like you're an educator, but your job is so much more in terms of what you're doing. I think people just assume that you work at Burn Creek and you like sit in a classroom and that's not the case at all. And I think it says a lot about your story and who you are. And I don't 
think people know that. So I, you know, if you don't mind, I'd appreciate it if you shared that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I did, I did teach classroom teaching at Burn for a year. I also taught at another school for a year and then and I kind of fell in like, or no, no, no. I kind of fell into this role of, <laughs> um, I fell into this role of community school coordinator, which we're the only community school that's a high school in Burnaby. The other community schools are elementary schools. And it's kind of this unique, uh, unique position. Um, other districts have community coordinators, but Burnaby is the only district where uh, the coordinator has to be a teacher. So the model is a little bit different. And essentially what, what I do is, uh, in a nutshell, is respond to community need and use community strengths to aid the curriculum. If, if I could put it in a nutshell, that would be it. You're totally undervaluing what you do. <laughs> um, this is the uncomfortable part, right? This yeah. is the part where you're supposed to, and you're not, you're not bragging. You're not, it's, this, right. it's who you are. It's the job that you have. But I don't think, I didn't know what you did until I showed up at your school. And that stuck with me for a good week and a half. And it's oh, still, okay. so that's kind of the part of this podcast is for you to like, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's my story. Because I think when you walk into a gym and someone who's maybe listened to this podcast has never had a conversation with you, right? can look at you and go, I kind of know what this guy's been through today already before he even has to coach a game. Sure. You know, he's already a married man. He's already got other things to deal with. <laughs> but, but the, the, you know, his job is nine to five, quote unquote, like you're not giving what you're doing for your community enough credit towards you. So if you're not going to say it, I will. So this is your last chance. <laughs> um, yeah. What, hear, are, what are some of the major initiatives that you're doing at Burn Creek? What are, okay. what are you really focusing on? Yeah, okay. I, I, can, I can share a little bit about that. So a big focus is on running the community room, which is basically a room that's more like a youth lounge than it is a classroom where, you know, youth will come or the students will come at break, at lunch, after school, before school, anytime there's not class, and just kind of hang out, uh, get a snack, get some school supplies, whatever. Uh, it's just kind of a wraparound support. So that's a, you know, that's a big part of the job already. And, and then helping run some after school programs and things like that. Like I can give you an example. We were going to run uh, a program this spring, uh, which was a build a bike program. And so, you know, my job would be to coordinate that piece, uh, coordinate the funding for it if it's required, and then and then put the pieces in place and recruit the kids to to go do that. And and so, obviously, we're not doing that with the current situation. But those are kind of some of the things that I do. Yeah, and I and I think that you know the day that I came over, one of the things that I love about our school is it is a community and and it's a comfortable place and we interact. A little like we're family right and when i saw the kids coming through the door into your room or that room the i'm sure you don't call it your room but whatever just you could just sense that they felt a part of it and there was no it was just so cool to see them come and go and hang out and say mm -hmm. hi and then leave or talk to their friends and be on their way so mm -hmm. just very eye-opening and i think a lot of people aren't really aware of what a school like burn creek and a lot of schools in the lower mainland across the country are actually doing to help kids that need it, right? That need right. that support and that guidance um, that have families, single, single moms that are working night shifts, that are working two jobs, that yeah. may not have a meal in the morning, that have different, you know, backgrounds from what they're bringing 
you know, as immigrants and what they've gone through, right? The stuff mm-hmm. that they've seen and, and uh, you know, someone like you and what you've been able to take from your experience, I think is so huge. And what have you been able to translate into your work life speaks more than anything about your basketball coaching, which is phenomenal. But that part of it, you know, our jobs, that's who we are, especially as educators, like that gives us a huge identity. Coaching does too, but, you know, seeing what you do, it must just be such a huge part of your life and make you feel like, you're just doing something that that matters, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate the kind words. I think it definitely gives me a sense of purpose. I think very, very fortunate privilege to be in the position. I think you want to you want to do a good job wherever you go. I think I am a purpose driven person. I could be, I can be really, really lazy when I, when I don't feel a sense of purpose. So, so it's nice for me to to have that. I think. You know, it's an it's an interesting place too, right? Like I think there's over 90 languages spoken at the school. And so you've literally, you, we thought we were diverse in East Van. We weren't diverse. This is diversity and, and you know, yeah. eth- ethnic diversity. And, and, yeah. and what's really cool about it is that when you're there on a day-to-day basis, you actually don't see diversity. You see kids bonding over things like basketball and hip hop and now rugby. Yeah. And and so shout it's not really program. yeah shout out rugby I mean and yeah. and we were going to run a girls program again the spring season got canceled but yeah, we combined um, with you. we had a few of our girls over there that's right yeah I'll so yeah 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 so you know so that's been great and and or wrestling which which STM helped out with on that and you know so that's the cool part I think is is yeah. that you know you see the world under one roof and yet mm-hmm. everybody's connecting over over the things they value and share and. And yeah. love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thanks for that insight. So now, you know, being established, being someone who's been at Burn Creek for a long time, and what are some of the successes for you, you know, as a, as a coach and for your program? And what are the things that your journey has got, you know, like, what, what do you feel like as a coach that you've learned along the way to now? Mm-hmm. Because we all as younger coaches, wish we could do things different, but I think that's part of it, right? Is like, we're not perfect from the get-go and we still aren't, right? We're growth mindset. So now Burn Creek 2019, 2020, what are some of the things when you do take a time to pause and reflect, like what are your proudest achievements, you know, as a coach, as a program Mm -hmm. and what the future look like for you guys? Well, you know, without sounding corny, I think the the proudest achievement is the relationships I have with the with the players and former players. You know, you almost on a daily basis, I have a former player call me, whether it's just to say hi or check in or see if they can do something for Burn Creek or whatever, which is a which I think is a true value of what we do is creating those relationships and the space in which you know, these young guys can create those relationships and then remember that. From a basketball standpoint, obviously, uh, we had two or three years there. We did some damage. We won a couple lower mainlands. We had a couple Final Fours and a provincial final. You know, obviously, that that's a great experience for for the kids, but also for me as a young-ish coach. I'll say that. How about that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> younger than Mitch coach. How about that? And uh, yeah, and so you know that stands up there but you know the the really nice part is seeing you know kids playing ball after they graduate whether they're playing at a school or not but they love they had a good enough experience at high school that they loved it and they're continuing to play right and so that's that's what you really want to see yeah for sure that's that's cool man that's honestly such good stuff and that's why i wanted to have you on here and you know for me as a coach as well you know i had the opportunity to 
go on the Dynamite Basketball live Instagram with Broden Teal. And that's right. You know, he asked me like which championship, and I just like I have a group chat with Corbin and his whole grad class from 2012. Like I am mm-hmm. on that WhatsApp group. Mateo's in there as well. Mateo. Oh, Mateo. You met Mateo, yeah. right? Yeah, that's the guy that can beat you one on one. That is that the guy we're talking about? The what? The guy that beats you one on one all the time? Oh boy! Is he is he talking to Corbin? Are you talking? No, to I'm Corbin? talking to you. I'm talking to you, Mitch. Oh, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I met him. He's a student teacher at Burn Creek, actually. Small world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and those guys are in a group chat and and just you know going to our alumni tournament and reconnecting with the kids and like that's kind of really what it's all about and. And that's, I think, why you and I have been able to gravitate towards each other because we have, although we're in like really polar opposite worlds educationally, Mm -hmm. I think we're both grounded in the same um, beliefs and values. And and it's kind of funny that our paths have gone each different way, but we've found a way to like somehow connect that way. So that's kind of cool stuff. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, your story and your journey is there anything else you feel like you want to add? Is there something we're missing? You know, is there something about basketball that you feel we haven't talked about yet? Or can we move on to the, uh, you know, rapid fire round? We can, we can move on to the rapid fire. I, I, do want to, uh, I do want to touch on something you just said is that, you know, we have these paths that we, that we walk and the paths that may not have crossed each other have crossed each other because of sport and because of basketball. It's incredible what it can do. If it's okay, I can share a story about that too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I was I was teaching I was teaching English in India in the Himalayas to Tibetan refugees, and I was I was just going for a walk, and I noticed a, a basketball court on the side of the Himalayas, and you can imagine it's it's incredible. And these guys were playing ball, and and I got myself in there, and. And just trying to work the ball, pass it around, whatever. But, you know, when they think you're just going to pass and then they leave you open and you hit a shot and then you hit another shot. And then and then next thing you know, you start feeling good. And, and then your team is winning game after game after game. And these guys, you know, had a, had a decent understanding of, of basketball, but, but really, really didn't know too much. And they, they started to foul me pretty hard. They started chopping me in the throat, poking me in the eye, two-hand pushes in the back. And, you know, you're with these Tibetan refugees, you don't know anybody, so I'm not going to really say anything. And, and then at the end of it, the, the most violent guys on the court kind of went over to one corner of the court together and, and started taking off their clothes and, and putting on monks robes. And, and the Tibetan community is predominantly Buddhist and, and Buddhists are nonviolent generally. And so I went over there and I said, you guys are monks? And they said, yeah. And I said, at Nechang Monastery, which was kind of the monastery right there. And they said, you yeah. know that monastery? I said, yeah. yeah. And, and they said, don't tell anybody we were playing basketball because we're not allowed. And, you know, one of those guys is still a guy I'm, I'm in touch with, like a, like a lifelong friend, right? Like it's, it's crazy what sport can do no to way. create those bonds and relationships. Yeah. That's cool. Were you able to fight through the contact and finish a couple or? Yeah. Uh... You already just, told us just a couple, just a bro. couple, yeah, just a couple. <laughs> awesome, man. Corbs, did you have any questions or any comments? I mean, obviously, you know, you're a young coach, up and coming, working on your education degree, and anything, anything to add or question? I know it's probably not going to be anything, but uh, before we move on. appreciate the confidence in me, Mitt. Um, I guess what was the transition for you? Was there a certain when? When you started out becoming a coach, what was the difference when when you were like, okay, I'm 19, 20 years mm-hmm. old versus 
I am the adult in the room. These kids are actually looking to me for some guidance and for some as as a role model, right? Like, what was that change for you? Well, I think two things. One was uh, playing some college basketball, and then and then making the decision to not play anymore and letting that go was big for me. And then the other was, you know, earning a, a degree in education, which kind of puts you in that you're officially a teacher. And so you're a certain level of professionalism is expected. So that helped the transition, but the, the, the quitting of playing and accepting or embracing coaching as something I wanted to do probably, you know, allowed me to take it more seriously. Awesome. I appreciate that answer. Thank you so much. That's a good answer. I think, um, and this is kind of what I'm jealous of about is like, just, um, these platforms did not exist when we were younger. Right. And, and not at all good or bad. And it's just different, but it's just like, there's so many resources for young people to continue a growth mindset and to tap into so many different things. And it doesn't have to do with coaching. It's whatever they want. And just it's phenomenal, man. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So go a little rapid fire. Thank you for your time tonight, but we're going to keep you for a few more minutes. Who's the, like, who's your favorite player growing up? MJ. Uh, and then, and then shortly after that, Iverson, I was, a, yeah, Iverson was a small guard and could just fill it up and had tons of attitude. And I just loved the way he played ball. I just loved I it. That, I want that gray Hoyas jersey, man. So oh sick. man. Yo, when he was at the Hoyas, he was yeah. nice. Yeah. I had the blue, I had the blue Hoyas starter jacket. Oh, the pullover? No, no, no. Just the, the button up. Oh yeah. 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 Those were clean. Those were clean. Yeah. I was worried that I was going to get jumped for it. That was the golden era of sports fashion. Corbin doesn't know nothing about that. Yeah. No, way too young. (laughs) It's all coming back again. Okay, so then obviously you're going to be biased. But in your opinion, like who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Uh, MJ. Okay. You've tagged me in a few lists, but like who who are you listening to right now? Doesn't matter if it's hip-hop, doesn't have to be. Okay. Um, if it is hip hop, you're a big hip hop guy. Like, who are some of your most favorite influential MCs, artists? Okay. Uh, right now, today, I was listening to Charles Bradley, kind of a soul blues kind of singer. But hip hop wise, uh, Black Thought from the Roots is is big for me, and, uh, and Biggie. Those are probably my top two. I like the East Coast. I like the East Coast sound. East Side, mm-hmm. East Coast. Goes mm, together. There you Black go. <laughs> see that guy. I feel like he could freestyle forever. Have you seen his beard recently? No, I haven't seen it recently. I feel like he has a COVID beard going. It is long, man. <laughs> and for people out there, if you get the chance to see the Roots live, you don't even need to be a hip hop fan. It, it's it's live music. There's ten instruments. It is one of the most phenomenal performances you'll see. Am I right? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, are you a big fan of him? Black Thought. Yeah. Absolutely. I like the roots aren't necessarily someone that I'm huge on. I love a lot of what they do, but I'm loving the separation and getting to appreciate black thought more, if that makes sense. Yes. And I agree with that. Yeah. 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 And I, it's it's been a nice transition to just kind of, but if someone like Jimmy Fallon is going to pick you and your band and your hip hop group, like you're kind of dope. So Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure, you know, as a young-ish Indian man, <laughs> thoughts, thoughts on ketchup on macaroni. I love ketchup. Never put it on macaroni. My man. Yeah. My man. Whether, and, and whether it was craft or home cooked, it didn't matter. You don't put that. You don't put that on there. Straight disrespectful, right? Straight disrespect. Thank you. Yeah. 
<laughs> you walk into a you walk into a corner store, you bag grab you got one bag of chips you can grab. They are uh Lee's barbecue. That's Corbs? Go. Is that Corbin's pick? Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was my pick. Yeah. Corbin literally said there's one chip in his house and that's it. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Wow. Best chip in the world. It really is. You can't go wrong. Cannot go wrong. I have so much more respect for you, Bell. <laughs> I, mean, I appreciate that. Yeah, we won't talk about what the respect level was before, but anyway. Um, <laughs> three, more, three more for you. Okay. The most important person in your life has been? My grandfather. You want to? Yeah, I can elaborate. He, he, yeah, sorry. He, he was uh, uh, captain in the Indian Army, had three master's degrees, spoke six languages, opened a college for women in India, kind of a staunch feminist. He was in his 20s when India became independent, and a lot of the intellectuals from that time embraced this idea of nation building. And for him, women's education was very important to that project. So uh, he moved here in 96, 97 when I was in grade eight and so and lived here for 10 years before he passed and uh, had a huge impact on me. So can you give us a real reason why you like him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just mildly accomplished? Yeah, just mildly. Yeah. 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 Uh, who's the greatest player you've either played or, or coached against? <sighs> That's a good question. No uh, disrespect to anybody else, just someone that comes on the top of your head that maybe torched you or the you you know whatever you know i played against navi Sekon and he was yes. very very difficult to guard and yes. and then and the next guy after that would be lewis johnson oh wow mm-hmm. both langara had the yeah. opportunity to play with lou in the, at langara yeah that's right yeah yeah i i got to play against them in men's leagues and stuff like that but they still had it and and navi played with a little bit of a mean streak and i like that yeah a little yeah. bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Navi was always pissed that he felt like someone was overlooking him. Right. And he could just fill it. He could fill it. He was he was a serious hooper. Yeah. Cool. And then last questions of the of the night is uh if you could do it all over again, you would. Oof. Oof. Dom needed a second for this one again. We'll, yeah. I'll yep. repeat it. If you yeah. could do it all over again, you would. I'd probably, I'd get more, I'd get serious about school a little earlier in my life and try to graduate a little sooner than I did. Hmm. Oh. Talking to a couple guys who've definitely taken the long path as well. Yeah. <laughs> I managed to extend my set, uh, five-year degree into seven. And yeah. Forbes is a high school grad 2012 and still sorting it out so yeah 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 um, you're behind mateo at this point so. yeah <laughs> i love that answer i'm not going to tell you you're wrong or whatever but i i just don't you feel part, part of it was like maybe you just didn't know but you just weren't ready yet you know oh, f- for sure for yeah. sure and i think it's part of your path like it's it's it makes you who you are too so i would do it without trading the experiences i had not doing it if that makes sense yeah yeah totally Man, so thankful you could join us. So happy that you were one of the first, you know, guests that we could have. Totally value and respect you, um, not only for who you are as a person, but, you know, what you do for your job and, and the people that you work with and your ability to just help them have, you know, a great experience through high school sport. I think that's so important. And I think it's important for our listeners to know that a Hoops Journey podcast is not just about people that, played university or went on and made it pro or did this and that. I think 
hoops has a definition for many different people. And I think you are a prime example of that. And we're super grateful to have you on and wish you nothing but the best going forward. Uh, go Bulldogs and dogs got to eat. And <laughs> yeah. we, love, we love and appreciate you. And I, from a personal level, uh, appreciate your friendship and wish you nothing but the best, my man. Well, and, and, and that's a mutual feeling. I think, you know, I look at you as a competitor, but as a good friend of mine, and you've been a mentor to me in this coaching game and really appreciate all that you've done for me and also having me on here and Corbin seeing the energy you're putting in, you know, a young guy who wants to continue coaching uh, is very inspirational. It, it invigorates me. So I appreciate both you guys and thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it, Bob. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Much love.